we have another special guest today. We've had like a series of special guests. Um, and this week, I'm super excited that we have my good friend Trace Bell on the line. Hello, Trace. Hi, how you guys doing? Uh, so Trace is actually, he's uh, currently completing his senior year at UCLA. He's studying political science. And Adrian and I thought it was like, would be kind of really interesting for us to talk to someone of a different generation of our own. Because you count as a Zoomer, right, Trace? You're like... I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, I, I don't, I'm not considered a millennial because everyone always yeah. kind of lumps me. People like to like lump me in as like, oh, you're a millennial. I was like, no, because I think millennial, I think the cutoff for millennial is 96. 1996. Yeah, sounds And right. I'm 98, yeah, yeah. so I was like, "Don't, don't include me with these, with these people. All, all your criticism, <laughs> millennials, do not, do not apply to me. You know, I'm exempt. Well, I'm a great defender of the millennial generation. I, I am too. I am too. Their, grievan- their grievances are well justified, in my opinion, as a, as a millennial observer. Thank you. <laughs> but it's also really pathetic that like what characterizes us is just like drama and and just like yeah, yeah, dismal sort of attitude. Yeah. And, yeah, and avocado toast—the the one joke that they have, the, the yes. boomer, the boomer, the one boomer joke that they all have. Yeah. And the, uh, there's one thing actually before we we're gonna start that I like really want you to explain to me, Trace. Is please explain Billie Eilish to me. I I'm glad you asked. I actually love Billie Eilish. I think. Okay. Um, Billie Eilish. I mean, to me, artists like if the music is there, then mm-hmm. they have they have staying power, and it makes me appreciate their image and their role in the culture way more because lots of times there'll be artists that will come up that will be relevant and big like Billie Eilish but the music's not there I just don't have I don't have the the I don't gravitate towards them and respect them as much as maybe the as as the size that they are uh but I to me Billie Eilish's music is fantastic um I think she's uh funny I think she's I think she's quirky and I think that she I think she kind of has like a DIY kind of bedroom, uh, like she like she has this DIY feel that I think really kind of connects with a lot of people and this kind of like um, almost like anti-establishment, anti-music industry, but still yet big within the industry kind of thing to her. Um, I guess that's I guess that's what I find really confusing because it's really hard to and I guess you know because we're going to talk about like the quote unquote left in America. It's really hard to parse out what's really DIY and what's really corporate and whether corporations are like using the aesthetics of DIY and the aesthetics of the left just to be like uber corporate even more. Do you know what I mean? No, that's, well, that's, a, that's, that, uh, yeah, the, that's a great point. The thing is that like DIY music has changed so much because the standard is really high now. Uh, you can just yeah. grab a laptop and like make music in your in your bedroom, and it's going to sound pretty good. Like yeah, they have all these like emulations of like vintage consoles that cost like three hundred thousand dollars or something, just for like I don't know two hundred bucks in your computer, and it sounds like pretty close. So you can have like a really high production value just like being in your house making music in your bed or whatever. Uh, like so, I've always said this just like at this at this point in, in, in time, it's really easy for something to sound really good, but it's the new task is for things to sound interesting. And I think I love that there's like a bunch of people that have access to like this type of equipment that would be impossible to get like 20, 30 years ago. That's very true. Yeah. So, so do you, cause I guess that's, that's true Trace. Like she does come from her bedroom, right? With her brother. Yeah. And I think so, that's a, that's yeah. a great point. Cause like all, all music to a certain extent is almost kind of like DIY, especially now with coronavirus. And like, I think you're going to see the yeah. death of a lot of music studios. Um, so like, it, it's not really even that she's DIY. It's more that she has the perception of being DIY. You know, like it's more like how that that's really like the crucial thing is like whether or not people like view you as be, being DIY. It's not even really the process of the like the making of the music. It's more like the overall kind of image and feel. And I yeah, think it's like her a, aesthetic. And I think and I think what's really important is like how many younger people love her and like the criticism she gets from older people. Like I remember she had the I don't know if you've seen the over or under thing she had what's the what's the youtube channel that does the over uh, overrated or underrated um with their guests but the, she basically had a like a youtube segment with oh, yeah i saw that. is it gq yeah. why am i yeah. blanking I, I don't i don't remember who does the the i can't remember what it was but i did watch it but it was yeah. she was kind of being like silly and i remember he got like a lot of hate yeah. and it was like yeah yeah she's 17 like 
and I know. and I think and like to understand why she has this like like crazy support, for, especially from all these uh, young kids. It's like you got to look at like 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 these kids. The the criticism is almost like helps uh, helps her support and helps her her fans uh, even love her more because of the criticism she gets from older people. Because it's like everyone kind of all these young kids feel like that. You know what? Like I'm young. You know what I mean? I'm 17. Like let me be stupid. Let me make poop jokes. You know, like she was doing on the. Um, yeah, that's something that it just seemed quite interesting to me. And I don't know if this is like Gen Z against the world, but like, it seems like a millennial, this is like a total general, generalization, but there are like two things about her aesthetic that I was like kind of confused by. Because millennials, I think, are like really sincere and like really earnest and like take everything really with great offense and great seriousness. But Zoomers online just like make stupid TikTok stuff where they don't <laughs> give a shit about like politics or like you know these issues that millennials get like really het up on. I don't know. I've um, seen I've seen some political TikToks that have been uh oh, right. yeah pretty awful <laughs> to say the least. It's just a joke because it's interesting. Like I think a lot of the stuff that millennials get het up about is um, aesthetically political, but really isn't. It's more like moralistic. So there's a lot of like moralizing and questioning about morals amongst millennials and everything is really like serious and earnest and is it feminism or is it representation or is it you know um people don't really just do things for the fun of it but maybe i don't know it, it, it's just it's interesting to me what the what the what the zoom is well like it's how they assess I guess political a, situation i guess the question is, is like do does gen z have its own doomers <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it I find I find my I yeah I find the 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 zoomers harder to harder to place almost like mm-hmm. um, I find that the the climate and the the like political context in which they're growing up in very interesting. Like because um, climate change, I mean climate change it, it has been a problem for a while, but like it, it seems to be especially. I think that the the zoomer they're growing up in a world that has been on fire like and i think that that has to be noted because i think it's very um uh i think it i think it matters a lot in how uh zoomers think and 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 view the world of like this this perpetual threat threat of climate change and almost like a uncertainty about the future um i think really shapes how how they view the world and how they're going to operate in it you know yeah absolutely there's definitely a yeah, from, from the children, I know there's, like, a real anxiety there. And, yeah, obviously, like, of course you would feel that. It's really in the air, and the, the adults really kind of project it a lot. Um, what about, so the other question I had about Billie Eilish is the kind of, like, um, <laughs> depressed aesthetic. Fucking Billie Eilish. Really not that interesting. Billie Eilish question. Um, like, the kind of, you know, like, the, the like, depressed aesthetic. I like Zoom is depressed. Um, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think Zoomers, I think there is a lot of, a lot of depression on the Zoomer side. I think you're also, and, and that's partly because of I mean, what we were just talking about. I think when you grow up with a world mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the, your world on fire, um, I think that there, that, that's going to be very evident and uh, permeate the kind of, um, permeate the identity uh, to a certain extent. I also think, I think you're also seeing a revival of the, of the emo scene and the emo vibe. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I think that you, you've definitely seen that. I think like in the past couple of years, um, like I know in rap, especially that like emo rap has gotten much bigger um, and mm-hmm. kind of like the more My Chemical Romance, uh, like the, the emo aesthetic has gotten, has had a resurgence. So I think you're seeing yeah. that with Billie Eilish too. And I think that's, that's partly why so many people gravitate towards their lover. But it's a, I think it works sort of like a sublimation kind of thing. Like it's not... I think maybe like Gen Y, for example, was like it, it more outgoing and like it could care less what happened in politics, but their music was pretty fucking sad. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like it, like you know, the original emo stuff. So maybe there's like a parallel between Zoomers as well with that, that it's just like they're sublimating their sadness into art in a way that maybe millennials are like incapable of doing. Mm-hmm. I had a question for yeah, you that maybe to give us a little bit of hope. Do you know any uh, people your age that are actually voting for Biden? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Do I know people my age? That are, um, I have like I have, uh, a, I have a friend. No matter who people. Uh. I don't really interact with people like that because they'll just infuriate me so much. Um, yeah. 
But I, I mean, I know there was, I know there was a Pete Buttigieg uh, group at my school. I was like, yes. I, I, I just need to show up and bully these people or something. Like this, this is we need to, we need to bring back bullying or something because this is this is out of hand. Um, I was like, to, to be a, to be my age and admit that you're an avid Pete Buttigieg supporter is like, that is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Do you know, actually, Trace, I saw somebody, uh, it's a long story where I saw it, but this person was 21 years old, and he was wearing, like, a, he identifies as a neoliberal. I hadn't seen this before. Oh. Like, people are, like, like, an actual, like, I am a, a millennial, uh, sorry, neoliberal and proud, and I think he has aspirations to be, like, a politician and stuff. But, like, I've never seen people, like, actually think it was a good thing. See, so I don't know see, if I read that, like, those people. I've seen that on Twitter a little bit, where people will put, like, like, proud neoliberal in their bio yeah. and i i view yeah. that more as like um people really searching and uh trying to find an identity and i think that there's okay. so much uh hate towards neoliberals from the left rightly so um that i think yeah. people gravitate towards i don't think they actually like it's not actually neoliberalism that they're yeah. that they're kind yeah. of identifying with i think it's that they they are establishing an identity and there's it, it they like that it invokes a response and I think that mm-hmm. the the idea people love the 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 sense. I always joke like your brain on centrism. People love like feeling smart because they don't pick a side, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, you know, the left is just out of control. The right's out of control, but also the left's out of control. And like, I'm just gonna I love the, myself. Yeah, I love the Tariq Ali sort of like diagnosis of the center in America and and uh, 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 the UK, which is like the extreme center, which is never something that people talk about that the center could mm-hmm. be extreme as well. Uh, I was going to ask you, Trace, like, uh, when you mentioned this whole thing about identity and that there was a group for Pete Buttigieg in your school, um, do you... Okay, so a lot of what's happening is that, like, neoliberals are sort of, like, appropriating identity as something that they can take advantage of. Um, like, for example, Pete Buttigieg maybe wouldn't be doing so well if he wasn't, like, completely known as, as somebody that was a, that is a homosexual. Uh, and also, jo- Joe Biden is, like, kind of being, like, pushed into getting a running mate as a VP that is, like, a woman of color or something like that. Uh, is that something, like, do oh, you, you buy Elizabeth that? Elizabeth Warren. Well, yeah, maybe Elizabeth. <laughs> like, uh, uh, do you buy yeah. that? Like, do you, is that something that like, or maybe not you personally, but like people your age, do they like, do they like that? It, it almost feels like kind of like an obscene pandering, right? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's, yeah. I, I think that people, I find that people like that, that don't have a very, very like uh, casual relationship to politics like they don't really think that deeply about it and don't really it's it's so much like kind of like a um it's almost like uh like saturday saturday night live brain where like you just view politics yeah. as this like game like this like sport and and you get like points almost for it's not actually about the policies and like the records it's about like the mm-hmm. points you get from the certain little indicators like like, oh, people who judge is gay, you know what I mean? That means we're, we must be doing progress. It's almost like a video game where, like, the more identifiers you have, the more progress you have, the more progressive your administration is, you know what I mean? So, like, so for Biden, that's yeah, a perfect like a, example. I saw somebody on Reddit call it, like, the oppression Olympics, and I just love yes. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for Biden, it's like, these people aren't actually like, okay, who would actually be a great vice president who has a good record, who would, like, they're not actually looking at it from, like, a, from a, a, like a framework in which like where how would this person be the best it's more just like oh a, a, a woman of color just for the for the just for the the being a woman of color would be the best like that earns you the most points mm-hmm. you know and it's like it's so yeah. gross to like to see it weaponized because like biden is ac- everything that we should be fighting against you know what i mean he's awful yeah um, absolutely yeah. the the other thing is that you know there's such a focus and this is a real you know a a corporate, a real capitalistic trend is to focus on the aesthetic. And um, almost focusing on the aesthetic means that actual politics doesn't have to happen. And I think, you know, for the last 20, 30 years, I mean, certainly you saw this with New Labour in the UK. I'm not that clued up on, uh, on for, for instance, like Clinton's administration, but politics became an economics game. So it became like a capitalist market, market type game. And it was who could present the best vision for the market who could appeal to consumers that the president or prime minister was doing the best job of having their hand on the tiller of the company, quote unquote, that is the country. And essentially, that's not politics. Politics is about like grit, grime, like conflict, 
sorting out issues and focusing on the aesthetic is just a complete diversion and it means that you don't have to sort out issues yeah yeah i completely agree it's i, I it's it's so infuriating to me they feel like they've like there's so much in, uh in, there's there's so much uh insi- there's such an insidious nature about the democratic party and what they are and i feel like they've just like polished themselves with these like with they just weaponize and polish themselves with these like awful um <laughs> indicators that show that they they show that they're they're the ones being progressive and they're and it's all these like like keywords and like virtue signaling and it's actually not if you actually like scratch beneath the surface it's like really like almost just as despicable as as trump and the right wing um do you do you think that um because i would say your kind of view of of, of the political is less is not super common for millennials what do you think adrian like i i don't feel like and maybe it's more common now, but if you were talking uh, along these lines four years ago, I feel like with people of my generation, that would have been seen as like dangerous or whatever. But I mean, I think it is more acceptable now. But among your generation, do, do, you, do you think like many of your contemporaries share a vision of the political that you do? Or would you say your position is quite unique? Um, that's a really good question. I, I, I think I think I don't think I'm crazy too unique. I think a lot of people do share um mm-hmm. my my views and i think that i think there i've noticed that people are very receptive to when you start to like like people aren't always aware and they don't act, always have the knowledge um of uh like, like I'll, I'll tell you like 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 mo- most almost everyone especially being, being in la almost everyone here is uh de- democrat like they, they'll vote democrat so it's very blue and and you'll so you'll see varying degrees of that and i think that a lot of people um like I've noticed that a lot of people are will be like your your typical kind of vote blue no no matter what. But when you actually start to like make these these points and kind of show them the flaws and kind of scratch beneath the surface, like I was talking about earlier, they're very receptive. There doesn't seem to be like a like a party like loyalty kind of thing where they they're, where they're not like they're not doing it because they're not so loyal to the party and so loyal um, to some of these politicians that that like there there's no argument that will convince them you know it doesn't actually take i've i found it interesting how it actually doesn't take a lot of work to like kind of show these people um what is really going on and what um like what how they're how they're weaponizing certain aspects of identity politics and um and, and kind of tricking people you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so so that that gives me hope that gives me hope because a lot of people i know like like people i know that didn't know much just hanging around me where then, like, I was able to, like, kind of convince them and kind of get them on my side. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. W- which is good. Which is really good. That's great. Um, so, uh, uh, Trace, you were telling us right before we started recording about this uh, this reading that you have of Shape of Water. Um, and I thought it was great. Uh, do, you, do you think you can walk us through it one more time? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan, and I loved Shape of Water. Um, What's your favorite by him? Uh, I mean, probably Pan's Labyrinth. That's probably the best. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big Hellboy fan too, as well. Uh, and I, I thought, I thought, I don't know if you guys saw Crimson Peak. And yeah, I, that's I, I, that's yeah. one of my favorites. I, I thought it was super underrated. I thought it was super underrated, and it is. I, yeah. I love the kind of like like gothic kind of like dramatic, you know, mm-hmm. that whole like that whole vibe. I love. Um, so Shape of Water. Um, I kind of view Shape of Water as, um like a almost like an analogy for people like Americans relationship with electoral politics every four years and it, it really the Bernie's Bernie's journey this this primary really made me kind of like think about it and I was thinking about shape of water and I was like oh that's that, that, that was there's some interesting connections um, I made so I found uh, she the main character Alyssa is, is deaf so speaks in sign language and she, it paints this, the movie paints this really, really grim and dark picture of reality and life. Um, and then she meets the, the, by the way, I'm going to spoil lot plot points. That's, that's right. Okay. Right. I've seen yeah. That's it. Okay. Why I, it's funny. We always say, I just realized we didn't actually say which films we're talking about today. We always do this. <laughs> we always like talk so tangentially about the movies, but we don't mention them, but we're going to talk, we are talking about Shape of Water and the film Reds. Well, yes. Anyway, so this is shape yes. Of water. So, so I, I the, the the scene that the Del Toro paints in in Shape of Water is this like really really dark 
kind of grim, depressing life, um, depressing scene. And and she she's this this deaf woman, uh, uh, and she falls she falls has this relationship and falls in love with this this amphibian man, this this creature. Um, and the story, this kind of this kind of this beautiful story about their uh, relationship and finding uh, love with each other. Uh, and then you have the the people trying to you have the I almost view like the, the capitalists, you know, the, the capitalists uh, at the top trying to exploit the amphibian creature. So she she breaks she breaks him out um, and it's and hides him uh, and and tries to keep him safe from being exploited by these people. Uh, and they the it ends up with with Strickland, the character that like, Michael Shannon plays. Uh, he ends up kind of orchestrating his own demise by going and killing both of them and the the the, cre the creature then kills him and i i kind of it, there was some parallels uh with that between how the kind of capitalist democratic liberal um part structure has uh i almost feel like orchestrated their own demise by how hellbent they have been destroying bernie and the relationship that so many people that were that were silent in America, the people that don't really have a voice typically, fall in love with electoral politics every four years and Bernie, just like they did in 2016. And it was like the lengths at which um, the characters in the movie uh, went to go to stop this this relationship and stop um, this beautiful thing from happening ended up being their own demise. And I feel very similar. I feel like it's very similar to how um the democratic party was like yeah. is so hell-bent on destroying this relationship and yeah it's interesting i think you know that the the you know the saying goes that those who vote for trump are those who don't vote in their best interest but it's actually you know the the uh, corporate democrat um that i would say are the real ones who don't vote in their interest because on a superficial level they do they're voting for uh the corporatists they're voting for their you know, PMC <laughs> continuation yeah. of the, the system as it is to maintain their position. But as Marx point, points out, capitalism cannot go on for very long when you exploit workers to the extent where they don't have enough to buy the product that the managerial class creates. So by voting, not only, okay, so that they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're just directly uh, getting Trump back into power, but also let's say if Biden was in power, potentially the inequalities could be even worse than they are under Trump. Fiscally, Trump and Biden, you know, there's nothing in it. The difference are aesthetic. The difference are, differences are as Trump being, you know, the loud-mouthed lout who comes to the dinner party that he's not invited to. But essentially, they're two, they're, they're very, they're fundamentally similar um, in every other respect. Um, so yeah, you know, I just, I've, I've kind of felt kind of, um, quite not angry about this, but there's obviously been a lot of, um, protests, especially in the mid Midwest and America and a lot of, you know, potentially moralizing and disgust at these people. How dare they protest? They're so uneducated. It's so uncouth and stupid, but the real thing is, and you know, these are the people that we, we say, quote unquote, don't vote in their best interest. But what have they been reduced to? They've been given $1,200. <laughs> They're losing their jobs. Yeah. You, what, like, what else are they supposed to do? I mean, I don't agree with them. I don't condone it. I don't think it's like we obviously cannot lift the, um, the restrictions right now. But as I think Zizek made this point. Having indefinite restrictions is, you know, an upper class uh, it's it, you know it's only a possibility for the upper classes. These people don't have any money, and people have lost their jobs. Uh, so yeah. I think there's so a difference for me. Oh, go, go ahead, Trace. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm so glad you I'm so glad you brought that up, Helen, because I find it like I there was such a like a strain of thought among liberals of like like making fun of these people and like look how stupid these people are. But I feel like that's it's it's exposing and highlighting to me how liberals miss the point, like in in certain ways it's like these people it's like such like a coastal elite kind of idea of like look at these stupid people protest like what do you what do you want these people to do exactly like the, like the the panic that is setting in these people do not have the same opportunities do not have the same quality of life like there's a there's a panic setting in that results in these these protests and these 
um, out, outbreaks that you see, and it's like the people kind of like dismissing it and like, oh, mm-hmm. look how stupid they are. I think they're totally, yeah, I think they're completely missing the point. Yeah, the point is structural. The point is not a moralistic point. You know, yeah. the, the Democrats also voted in the same uh, fiscal package. Obviously, there were time restrictions. You have to give people money quickly. I don't know how much debate could have gone on. You know, I'm not an expert on the fixed fiscal package. But the thing is, it's like people people have had their rent and their uh, mortgages postponed, but they're still going to have to pay it. How many people have lost their jobs? 26 million. And in the States, you you know, 26 million, that's people without health insurance in a, in a crisis of, uh, you know, global health. And you've been given twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, as you say, Trace, I think the problem lies elsewhere. Yeah. Well, the way that I see it is like um, the way that Democrats sort of uh, vote, especially within this sort of ideology of like vote blue no matter who. It's 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 pretty cynical and it's pretty vulgar. It's like um, it's 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 sort of like voting for the bare minimum and i think that they even make the case for it by saying uh, this whole thing is just like the lesser evil and that as if that was like a legitimate way of just like voting right and the way that republicans vote and the people that love trump it's um it's it's perhaps more obscene but it's more honest um it's they're pretty open about their enjoyment of the figure and the more that trump fails and the more that trump sort of like messes up the economy and uh uh uh, just social services for people it's just like the more that people like him but i think that they're aware um and, and like i can't pretend that if bernie would have won that i wouldn't have enjoyed all the people that really would have been hating on him i mean obviously uh, I'd like to think that at the core of my heart, I would have a place for trying to like, you know, get get them on board or whatever. But there's also just like this this thing that makes us human, which is like, oh, I kind of like it when somebody doesn't like what I love, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I, but what you were talking about, just like Democrats, it's uh, yeah, I think they they vote for the bare minimum, and it's a, that's a pretty cynical position. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I found it I found it fascinating. Almost, it's almost kind of like it's actually kind of amusing. Like all these Democrats that like the immediately when when Biden got the nomination, like the the argument was immediately immediately like he's the lesser of two evils. Like it wasn't even like here we're gonna make a case for why Biden is great. They they're like so prisoner to this like lesser of two evils thing that that was like their initial yeah. argument was that he's like the lesser of two evils. But what kind of system then? Like the vote blue no matter who people that are making that argument. Like your guy, that's the first argument you make is that he's a lesser of two evils. Even like, and a lot of the, he's, he's raped less women than Trump. That was, that's the thing I've heard multiple times. Like, is it, it's yeah, starting to become about... like, like, like a caricature. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing about Joe Biden is that it maybe if there's one good thing that could come out of this whole thing is that possibly, uh, uh, it's going to end sort of like the identity politics of the United States, because it's like, okay, so Biden is pretty much like killing the Me Too movement. Yes. Uh, I'm so like glad you brought that up. Like I know, cynical, uh, yeah, yeah. Riven with, with contradictions and the contradictions are all being just exposed, you know, brought to the light of day. Yeah. When I saw, yeah. I saw Biden staff, when I saw on Twitter, Biden staffers deleting their Me Too and Believe Women tweets, like my jaw dropped. I was like, it felt yeah. like, it felt like something like was kind of like almost like changing. Like it was, it was so like, it made my skin crawl so much. That it was like, yeah. it felt like some it, he was breaking some sort of like illusion that people had. Yeah. That these people were sincere and principled. Um, yeah. It, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But this is this is what I mean about the similarity between um, the 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 right and the liberals. I won't even use the word left. <laughs> you know, the, the liberal position is it this this ability to transfigure in whatever way that market requires. And that's a, that's a purely capitalistic move. Capitalism does what it has to do to make profit. And the capitalist mindset is one by which you transfigure your position, you know, from day to day according to what is necessary for you to retain your job. And the thing is, I don't, you know, this is not to say that I don't feel sorry for people who have to do that because, um, you know, everybody lives under the system and, what are you going to do? You're going to, you, you have to be very, very strong and very, very brave to be like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, to just continue to live this lie. But that comes with huge sacrifice under the capitalistic conditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you will get kicked out. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so what uh, did you do? The, what did you do? Yeah. 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 
Um, so the other movie that we were going to talk about, um, it's a double feature today. So uh, it's Reds by Warren Beatty. I forgot the I forgot the year. I think it's from the seventies. But um, eighty one, eighty one. Oh, 81, yeah. Um, what'd you think about it? Did you did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a super interesting movie. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know much about Reed. Um, so I thought it, it, it taught me a lot about his life. I thought the way the, the uh, movie was kind of set up with like the interviews or like the kind of actual accounts like spliced in within the movie were kind of fascinating. Um, and I thought that I thought the movie had like a really kind of powerful message about the the struggle between like identity um, and expression and like political movements and kind of like mass movements and like what it means like the the dangers of losing individuality and expression in these mass movements that are meant to like free people. Um, yeah. I thought that was like a really interesting kind of like struggle throughout the movie that I didn't necessarily expect. I didn't, I didn't really expect much anything going in, but I thought that was like a really powerful um, message in the movie that, that really gave me a lot to think about. Todd McGowan has talked about this quite a lot recently, uh, Emancipation after Hegel's latest book about how, um, so Marx was obviously inspired by Hegel, but the idea that, you know, communism in its iteration in communist Russia became a right wing deviation of the, of the left. So from Tom McGowan's perspective, the left is the ability to um, live in contradiction and to understand that, you know, the world is riven with contradiction and to be able to live into that and to find ways to to like actually not cover that over with some um, ideology or means of escape, but actually recognizing it. And capitalism covers over the contradiction very cleverly by hiding the contradiction in material products. Um, it's called commodity fetishism, but uh, left-wing, so the right-wing deviation of the left does the same with sort of, um, by taking control of the state and basically effectively running a police state and uh, making everybody abide by a really extreme ideology that papers over the contradiction in a different way. So it's really difficult, yeah, when you expose the contradiction in one system, it's really difficult not to fall into um, sort of an opposite but mirrored and the same uh, mode of covering up the contradiction and escaping it in a different way that's equally bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, well, okay, so Zizek always talks about like his call for this new possible way of, uh, of building society and he calls it like bureaucratic socialism. And I really love this idea because I think that bureaucracy, basically what it means is like this web of intricacy and complexity that is like the pure sort of like embodiment of contradiction. And I think that maybe sometimes what the left tries to do is to like eliminate this contradiction or or the antagonism that is inherent to society right so yeah it has it has a narrative that is like really nice which is like class struggle and like uh you know it wants equality but it doesn't account for like the way that people sort of self-sabotage in a sense why sort of like marx is is missing missing freud you know it, it it's yeah, like it's yeah. missing sort yeah. of like the dimension of like the unconscious and it's something that that it's always trying to like repress so um and I, like my son was born a few weeks ago and we were at the hospital and we were trying to get out, but the baby was born like a, a day earlier than he was meant to. So we couldn't get out because there's like this like really intricate relationship between different departments of the hospital. And it's almost like I was asking this guy, it's like, hey, can you just do me a favor and call the other part department and tell them to to just like allow us, allow them to release us so we can leave the hospital really. And they were just like, no, it's impossible. Like we don't even get along with that department. And I thought it was really funny because it's like bureaucracy is what allows for things to not change that rapidly. And I think that capitalism has that down like really, really well, where mm -hmm. if you want to change something about it, it's like, it's virtually impossible because it has all these like intricate connections within it. And maybe that's something that the left is missing yeah no it's, it's interesting as well this this idea of um marx not taking into consideration uh well freud marx is before freud but yeah we need a, a freudian reading or a more hegelian reading of marx because yeah. almost hegel is more freudian than, than marx is but um obviously but yeah if if one goes in 
to a situation, uh, whatever your intentions are, if you um, enter a situation not from a universalist position, you will inevitably uh, basically land up in a capitalistic position. And essentially, one could argue that the USSR had very capitalistic dimensions to it. So the universal, you know, we've talked about this a gazillion times, is basically the universal is the fact that everybody is subjectively um, is constructed around lack. So lack is what unites us. All these identity features, color of skin, color of hair, gender, sexual identity, aren't the things that unify people. They're quirks of something else, quirks of nurture or nature, whatever. But the thing that everybody has is lack. And if you try to ignore the universal, which is the lack, you will fall into an individualistic position where it is a power play one over the other. And yeah. any, even if you're intended, so this is the thing when you have these movements that maybe once were universalist, like feminism, maybe once was talking about what about the women's position in society at a time where they're excluded can shine a light on everyone's experience. But yeah. now those positions are what makes us special, what makes us quote unquote worse off than other groups so that we can win the victim Olympics and that becomes Mm -hmm. a capitalistic pursuit in and of itself so any political project that doesn't take into consideration the lack the shared lack will just end up being a power struggle between individuals and I think you can see this with quote unquote communist China it's not communist at all yeah 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 yeah. well in what we in what one might assume the word communism means yeah, I remember. I remember when you were mentioning the USSR, which is like a big part of the movie. But um, it, I was I was remembering yesterday when I was watching a scene where they're like, there's like a sort of like a town hall meeting, and everybody's just kind of yeah. screaming. It's just like Russians are so so interesting to me. Just like their spirit, the way that they they work. Like Russians are like that one friend that that everybody has that is just like willing to do anything dangerous uh, if you dare him to or her. Uh, they're just like I, there's all these videos uh, of like Russia and just people doing like crazy things and like putting their life on the line. So I feel like Russians are just kind of like dared by everybody else to go along with the worker revolution and they did it and then they were just abandoned and nobody else or followed them with it <laughs> yeah yeah no they're just the ones who are like crazy enough to do it it's interesting yeah, yeah there's a subreddit like a normal day in rush or something which is just crazy did you did you have a favorite part of the movie train yeah I, I was gonna i had i think my favorite part was the the scene at the on the end of the train when she when he confronts mm-hmm. the bolsheviks leader and kind of that that scene where he confronts him about how he like removes the individuality um and he's like removed the individuality and like made it i forgot the the exact lines he said but what, what was the descent there was some of the dissent about re, uh dissent and revolution line he gave that was so great it was like it was basically like like the whole movie coming to like the the almost like the climax and and him kind of like telling him like you've almost become ex- exactly what like the structures you're rebelling against which I was mm-hmm. like the best mm-hmm. message, and I think that there's yeah. so, there's a yeah. there's a message in there. Um, I think it's crucial for the left success. Um, like I think think the left almost needs to have like a capitalistic element, and that it needs to learn how to market itself and like be attractive. You know, like capitalism mm-hmm. is great at like marketing. It's, like marketing is like such an essential element of capitalism, of like like being shiny and being desirable. And I feel like the left sometimes um, loses elements of that. Um, and is not as attractive and desirable as it should be. And I think it's what integral think to its success. Yeah? It's success. What, I think that, what I think the thing is, is that p- the people who have hijacked the word left, it's not the left. Yes, that, that's... And actually, yeah. like, all the, all the, like, cool people I know, <laughs> all the cool and hot people I know are actually leftists. But the trouble is what people, what, you know, is the common garden... Uh, terminology of the word left and capitalism has been very like clever at incorporating that position into the into the system itself is is liberal so um there are loads of cool leftists out there but the other thing is is like capitalism does a very good job of closing out like a a left-wing position is fundamentally opposed to capital so like it's a really tricky one it's a really tricky one yeah yeah, well, I mean, capitalism sort of thrives on creating an illusion that utopias are a 
possibility or that they could exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed in the movie that um, the cuts between the the sort of like the political uh, struggle that's happening in, in Russia and in the United States, there's, a, there's some very quick cuts between that and the relationship between, um, sorry, I forgot, there, Reed and uh, Luis, uh, mm-hmm. where where they're just like, their relationship sort of like mirrors it in an opposite way because their relationship is like really complex and they, you know, there's like somebody else involved and she's not really sure if she wants to be with him. But it's, so it's a very complicated relationship. So it's kind of like, it's like, it's signaling what is missing from the left. And it's like this, this ability to continue a relationship while also having conflicting feelings that maybe don't make you feel like, you know, like you're, you're in it a hundred percent because that basically doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. I think Lacan has a lot to say about that. Like, and I think it comes up in relationships a lot, um, that both you have to, uh, acknowledge that what you want can't make you happy and that utopia doesn't exist, but you still yeah. cannot give way in terms of that desire. So it's like, he has this term like, ne sur son désir, which means both do not yield to your desire. So don't like give yourself over to it, believe that it can make you whole and complete, but also do not give way to it. And like, do not let it pass you by without, you know, taking it on. So that is, yes, yeah. it's really, and it's, it's, it's just like to take responsibility for your desires, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think this comes back to what Tracy was saying earlier about like the left marketing itself, because the left doesn't have to be about like not getting things, not enjoying life, not, you know, being sexy and interesting and making things and like, you know, uh, being greedy and stuff like that, because actually the left is basically admitting that the lack exists and the lack generates desires. But the, the the capitalistic position is actually not recognizing your own desire. The capitalists are the real zombies who do not heed their own desire and sacrifice their own interest for yeah. the pursuit of capital. So the people who are the real self-sabotages are the likes of uh, Jeff Bezos. He's the person who's yeah. really suffering. Like, you know, <laughs> he's completely um, sublimated his own desire. I mean, some people, maybe their desire is just to make money. But the real zombies, those who sacrifice themselves for the pursuit of gain, capital, or just the pursuit of uh, hard stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, what was that? Go for it, Trace. Oh, I was just going to say, it's not even like when I say marketing and like, it's not even like portraying that like, like the left's ideas will lead to like a utopian like or even or even like give you make you happy you know what i mean it's more like a mm-hmm. like a marketing in the sense of like like uh highlighting individuality and expression on the left yeah. and like like you're totally saying like like um being comfortable with desire like desires and almost like i like i've no I, i'm more talking about some of the leftists i know are like they almost like kind of like poo poo like anything that's like like I'm, I have a leftist friend that's like against like dressing nice. He's like he told me at one time I look like shit out of solidarity, and it's like who wants to who wants to join you? Yeah, that's, you know, yeah, like no. like I, know I don't think you do. You don't need to do that. Yeah, you just don't need to do. And that. And obviously, yeah. obviously, that's not representative of of all leftists or even most leftists. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just almost being like being comfortable with with and embracing individuality and expression on the left and yeah. not and and not make and and not doing uh, like uh giving the illusion that every, every the 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 ideas would would bring like sort of, some sort of utopian perfection you know yeah absolutely there's, there's a point i want to make about um you know sexuality and sexual identity and let's say that you know the the, the so-called left the liberal position is to take on sexual identity and to use it as a moralistic weapon to say these people are special because they have the sexual identity. These people, you know, are special angels that can teach us something. These people, you know, are particular because of their sexual identity and like moralizing the sexual. And so, you know, they they the first step is you know they accept all these different sexual identities and then they weaponize it. Uh, by capitalizing on it. But the left-wing position is to be like, yeah, absolutely, accept every single type of sexual identity, absolutely. But that sexual identity does not make you any better than anybody else, A. And B, in fact, the sexual cannot be moral. The sexual is that which is completely abject. And just accepting that yeah. sex is just like, 
it, it is has absolutely nothing moral to it. As soon as you moralise sex, it's not sex anymore. Sex is that which doesn't fit the moral code. It's that which we're embarrassed about. It's that which is perverse. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, like I think the, the thing is, it's like... It's like the creases. It's like the... It's sort of like the creases or the interstices within... Like, in between what we... The points where we can sort of like make moral judgments are are far in between, but like what is between all those, like the crevices between them is like sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think the left needs more artists. We need more socialist artists. Thank you. Drivers. Thank you. That's exactly what I was talking yeah. about with like, like, yeah, like almost I, like a, like a marketing element. And like, like, and when I said like capitalist element, I didn't mean like to be like capitalism. I more meant like there needs to be like a, like make it sexy, you know, like make it, make yeah, it attractive yeah, yeah. and like artists and yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. the thing is, it's like, um, because the capitalism has spread into so many dimensions now, like the, um, like art has been become corporate and it is very difficult to be an artist and be able to like survive and as an artist and make a living with being really true to left wing and socialistic and like anti-capitalistic. <laughs> is that, Helen, is that yeah. why you were saying that like you were you didn't you didn't think that AOC was gonna be like a good leftist because she's like she, that she's too hot? <laughs> oh yeah, I have I have like a really stupid hot take about hot people in politics. But yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I I'm just, I, I yeah, just I have not ever thought that AOC was the golden ticket of the left. Anyway, she's not. Um, she's not. For the record, no, no, no she's, she's not. not. She's, she's not. She's. You um, know what? I'm I'm a, I'm gonna defend AOC a little bit. She's yeah. she's a former bartender who yeah. is doing her absolute best and I yeah. like and I give her uh applause on she's she's doing her best but like the yeah no she's 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 not a savior you know yeah no yeah. and I think the trouble is it's yeah it's the same it's the same thing I guess it's the same point I'm trying to make with the artist it's like cap, uh, politics especially in America is extremely corporate and it relies on huge amounts of money and you have to raise money to be in the game so how do you actually be like if if the political is capitalized upon you can't like how can you be left wing like how can you be if, if there are lobbyists and all that kind of thing in corporate interests how can you be left wing and in the arts if you have to earn money or get grants or be published or you know have your work shown in a in a world that is completely corporate like how do you how can you survive and be true to what you're doing it's like super difficult so yeah no i do I think you're right about AOC and I think I maybe I'm not generous enough about her in that sense because it, it's it's very difficult whenever is it you know even in universities I don't know you know you're you're in a university right now to be a professor who isn't towing the corporate line I'm sure is really really difficult now and in the past the university was like apart from capitalism oh absolutely yeah. you know it's 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 so tough they're, they're almost like they're intertwined now you can't you can't survive within yeah, you can't survive within the system and and be a true leftist, you know, like there's yeah. just no room. Uh, one it's, of the other things it... that I wanted to touch on, uh, go, go ahead. No, I was going for Adrian. We always have these like three-way stops. We have these three-way conversations <laughs> like, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So one of the other things that I thought was interesting from Reds is this uh, this thing that, that an old woman says uh, to... I think it's Louise, but she says like, oh, they're talking about like the, this sort of conflict that is going on in the States uh, of like the anti-war movement and pro-war. So um, this woman is sort of kind of cynical position about it. And she's like, oh, you know, it, the war will happen. And why? Because men love war and men love to go to war and they always have. Um, I don't know about you, Trace, but like I've sort of. I've never felt that in my life where it's just like, I want to fight for the state. Like, what the fuck is that? And I, I kind of don't feel sort of like this patriotic, like investment in politics where I would be willing to like give my life to it. Um, um, maybe, you know, if things were like tuned in a different way and, and I would be sure that I was like fighting for the right causes, it would be something that I could familiarize myself with. But it's like, I don't know if Biden would choose to like make war against like North Korea uh, once once he's president. I would not feel inclined at all to like take a part of that war, even if it's something that you know it connects to like sort of like the the the, the instincts that I have of aggression, as like Freud used to talk about, and like you need this sort of like escape for violence and all of this. Um, 
how do you feel about war and have you ever felt like this sort of like zeal that is like nationalistic and uh uh yeah political no i it's actually that's a great question i i actually completely understand it to be honest with you i i yeah. i totally i can i can connect with a part of myself that would be like like i i get the the patriotic like let's go to war those, those are the bad guys you know what i mean like almost the camaraderie that comes uh yeah. with having like a common enemy um obviously like, people like us who are like uh read more about this stuff and and know more about this stuff we, we have the we can logically analyze it to where we'd be like that's not smart like we're not gonna i'm gonna go suit up and go to war with north korea you know what i mean for like we understand that the u.s in a in a larger context that like to know that we would be pawns within that system um but yeah. like as far as like the primal urge to like have a team you know what i mean and, and oh yeah yeah go fight i i completely understand it um and i thought that, i thought that was a great yeah. line i thought that was a great line in the movie because uh, there yeah. does there does seem to be like an inevitability to war, especially within this country. So, and yeah. um, one hope that there was with coronavirus is that we had like a common enemy that wasn't a nation or another person, and it was also a hope with climate change that our common enemy is climate change itself. Uh, our common enemy is destruction itself, is death itself, and th around that we can like galvanize as like one unit. Um, but that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, but that doesn't involve violence, though. We don't. There's no violence yeah. involved with fighting a virus or fighting That's climate change. True. You know what I mean? I That's think that it's too virtuous. Yeah, it's 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 too. People need a little bit of death drive. Exactly. Yeah, there has to be like a little like yeah. there has to be that that red ultra violent kind of there's all that that urge for violence exists within so many people. That's you know. Very true. It's interesting. The um, uh, Tom McGowan has a really great analogy in capitalism desire, as in there's a reason why people like chocolate cake and not broccoli and it's not necessarily because broccoli is less delicious than than chocolate cake like you could make broccoli really delicious if you cooked it really nicely it's because chocolate cake's bad for you <laughs> and i actually think like a you know and broccoli is good for you and that's why you don't like to eat it and um you know you, you have to have a little bit of death involved and uh i think like a really good diet is one where you just like allow yourself or you there might be eat. some of the, the some of the death of just like being at home you know, because it, it can be pretty yeah. devastating to just be like inside like day after day. Um, and also um, possibly like the sacrifice of um, of jobs, because it's like so many people are just like they know that they might not get their jobs back. They're, the, the company that they work for will never come back to fruition. And it's just like, you know, that that was sort of like a conscious decision that everybody made. I mean, it's a different type of violence, I guess. But it's still, there's a sacrifice there that is kind of like, maybe could be enjoyed or something. I mean, a lot of people sort of like are maybe even like hopeful that after this, things are going to sort of like start from scratch, you know, like things won't be the same. I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if I buy that like things will never be the same and that like the world is going to be like a, this completely different place after after coronavirus but it seems like there might be some element there of just like at least sacrifice that's true yeah and the, and the would... market and the economy have almost like replaced like they have this like mythic i think for so many americans they have this like mythic feel like it's almost like the market and the economy have replaced like god like like and almost yes. the like reop reopening businesses and like the, all the arguments especially here on the right wing like oh well some people will, i'm okay with dying if it means the economy is not going to crash it's like it's like replacing our like we have to we have to put a sacrifice on the altar you know what i mean to the gods to get this thing yeah, up and running again right. you know absolutely right yeah yeah i saw this really funny yeah, meme really the other day analogy. i saw this really funny meme the other day where there's a there's an astronaut on the moon and he's looking over to the earth and there's like a like an asteroid that just hits the hits the earth and just like cuts it in half and uh the astronaut's like oh my god no what's gonna happen to the economy <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it seems like everybody's worrying about that. No, you're absolutely right. No, that's that's really really interesting. Um, yeah, I really liked Adrian what you were talking about about the relationship mirroring the uh, political struggle. I hadn't really thought about that when I was watching it, but it, it is an interesting relationship, um, and how they have to be like continents apart for her to want to, you know the absolute like death march she has to make to get into Russia to meet him. Yeah. And to recognize that she actually loves him. That's, yeah, humans Humans need a bit of, like, a bit of difficulty. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's like, I guess the question is, it's like, how, yeah, how do we galvanize people around fight, you know, something that is for their own good 
that doesn't that you know we we somehow you know get that libidinal drive for for death effectively um yeah but harness it in a way that's not going to kill everybody i guess that's yeah. the struggle <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so Trace, um, maybe to close off, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you a couple of questions. Um, maybe for somebody that wants sort of like the, an introduction to the ideology of uh, people your age. So I was wondering if you could recommend to us uh, something that you feel like maybe defines uh, the way that you think and the way that that maybe your friends think um, uh, by recommending one book, one movie. Um, one podcast and one uh, uh, album or like okay. a band or whatever. Okay, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so what was the what was the first one? The uh, book. Uh, it could be a movie, maybe. Uh, okay, a movie. I I would go with I would maybe go with Get Out. Um, I think yeah. Get Out at, uh, portrays a has a really like uh, intricate and interesting view on race that's not super um, heavy handed. That's not too heavy handed. Um, yeah. and I think the way, uh, Jordan Peele, like the, the kind of like horror element of, um, I mean, this is just the first movie off the top of my head that I think kind of really like, uh, yeah. and cap, like there, there was a, there was a, uh, the way he, he portrayed race, race in a very like nuanced way that wasn't like super preachy. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that like with my generation, the, the, the super preachy, uh, stuff doesn't really it isn't really applicable as much anymore. And there's, we're more yeah. looking at, at, at um, our, our lives in a more like intricate and complex way. And I think uh, yeah. that movie really kind of encapsulates that for me. Um, and it also seems like get out along with like hereditary and a few other ones. Uh, it really sort of ended the, the curse of like shitty horror movies. That yeah. Been, I'm, like, I'm glad you mentioned those two. Cause I love those, uh, especially hereditary. Like that, that's another great one. It's like, the the kind of like subtle horror um and yeah. not that not that in there's there not the in your face kind of jump like scare saw. yeah like saw like the, the, there's there's more like a under your skin subtle horror um and like a subtlety and like an intricacy i think that people my age are looking at the world with yeah um yeah and i think i think treating treating these issues with that kind of respect and with that kind of nuance um is is really connects with a lot of people my age um, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great one. And then uh, uh, a book. Okay, book. Um, I mean, I I love Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky because I've always yeah. um, just the way that the 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 media and I the the way the media operates. Um, I think is like one of the most important things for people to realize. And I think that with people my age, you're seeing a move away from traditional media outlets. Mm-hmm. So people my age are more moving towards uh, YouTube, Twitter, independent like more independent news sources. Um, so, cause they're kind of people might are, are seen through uh, the, the establishment media that maybe other generations weren't. Um, so maybe that, that book, that book just kind of like encapsulate that was like a more overall argument about the media's role. But uh, I think, I think understanding people, my generations, uh, move away from establishment media. is pretty important because I think it's going to burst uh very interesting thing yeah i kind of wish that somebody would do i know he's done i know chomsky's done like revised versions of uh uh, manufacturing consent but i I wish that somebody would do like a new one uh that includes like uh, post-2016 yeah it's it's i'm glad you said that because when i said it i was like even though manufacturing consent is kind of old um i was like uh i was like i I wish there was like a new one that, that would be better like uh they would talk about more kind of current stuff because when i'm talking about more talking about like people feel my age their relationship with current establishment media um yeah 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 um, uh, and then a podcast? Okay, so then oh yeah podcast, yeah podcast and then an artist or musician or an album okay uh podcast uh i will go i i mean i know i know it's it's like the biggest one i'll go with joe rogan but just for but i'm gonna explain why um i'll go with the joe mm-hmm. rogan podcast yes, fair enough. because of how influential it is and um especially with men um and how uh people's misunderstanding of joe rogan uh is people's misunderstanding of joe rogan's influence is very interesting to me and i'll I'll use the example of when he endorsed bernie 
Um, do you remember? Do you remember when there was that whole controversy when he endorsed Bernie and the Bernie to- to- yeah. uh, touted the Rogan endorsement? Um, yeah. And I was and uh, then and the New York Times then endorsed. Uh, a, they did a dual endorsement. I forgot who it was. Uh, I forgot who they duly endorsed, but they duly endorsed two people. And it was like we are now living in a world where a Joe Rogan endorsement is actually more uh, influential than the New York Times uh, yeah. Yeah. endorsement. And you could see that world, the whole New York Times world, like melt down over it, um, which I just find fa- I just find fascinating that like we uh, a UFC MMA podcast. I don't even really care for Joe Rogan that much. I think he's fine. I, I think he's kind of simple. I think he's just like a like a dude that just talks, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah. I like the the way that he has used independent media and built his brand to then be more powerful and more influential in politics. Like he he yeah. he was more influential in, in the primary than like large at least his endorsement was than like large established media corporations. And I think it kind of speaks to like a unraveling of the system that so many know. Um, and do you think that there's like a sort of um deliberate misunderstanding of Joe Rogan because of him being by the establishment media because of him being such a threat. Absolutely. I think that people are like so fearful that he would somehow be overtaking them that they he they like purposely they like are purposely stupid about him and like purposely pretend to be ignorant to why he's uh connects with so many people. Absolutely. And you can be like I, I think, you know, the, the example of um, Joe, uh, sorry, Joe Biden, at least he's ra- raped fewer women than than uh, Donald Trump. It's like of anybody you, you, you ideologically disagree with, you can dish up dirt, you know, you can dig up dirt on like, of course. And of course, Joe Rogan can have dirt dug up on, you know, he's has thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of podcast recorded. He's probably said something offensive at one time, you know? yeah. <laughs> just like every human being. And that can be used to explain why he is cancelled or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so last, and then the, uh, the last one would be an, an album. Okay, an album. Um, I will go with an album called Hellboy that came out in 2016 by a rapper named Lil Peep. Um, he passed away in 2017, so he's been he's been dead now for three years. But I'm gonna go with this album because Lil Peep. Um, is a rap he's a rapper from the white rapper from the suburbs of long uh long island new york his, mm-hmm. his parents were harvard professors and he became one of the yeah. biggest rappers in the world um and he has these silly face tattoos um but i find him uh and he, he kind of brought like he, he brought like emo he, he's under the category of emo rap he kind of combined like blink. He's used a lot of Blink One Eight Two samples. He kind of combined the Blink One Eight Two and My Chemical Romance um, vibe, the emo vibe, with like modern trap uh, beats and the modern rap yeah. aesthetic. Um, and I find him a fascinating look at um, uh, two like two er- two uh, Ameri- two areas of America kind of becoming combined almost in one person, like the the. The white kid from the suburbs um, having this like rap urban city aesthetic, but also with like the the emo suburban kind of despair. Um, yeah, teen angst. Yeah, yeah the teen angst. Um, and I just find him. I'm fascinated. There's a, there's a documentary on Netflix right now called Everybody's yeah, Everything. Really good. About, you've seen it. You've seen it, Helen. Yeah, isn't it? EP isn't it amazing? By, um, Terrence Malick. Yeah. His granddad is like a like a hardcore leftist. It's like he, his granddad was a, a Harvard professor. He's a really in, influential socialist historian, and I think was really like close to Terrence Malick. And Terrence Malick EP the documentary. Yeah, it was um, is really good, really interesting. Yeah, and, and yeah. he's kind of it's yeah tragic. Obviously. Yeah, and he and he's yeah. and he's rapped about Palestine before. Like I, I, he there was there was some there was like that that pain that I think so many on the left have about the world that was kind of you that is in his music um, and always connected yeah. with me. There was like there was a pain that he carried in his music and especially on that album Hellboy, especially the first song Hellboy. The lyrics are very simple and like very kind of like they almost feel kind of childish and juvenile, um, but mm-hmm. it, it's not about like what he's saying. It's about the feel of it. Um, and I feel like you really captured almost like a pain in America and combined all these different elements. But I find him and his career fascinating. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I think, that, you know, you talk about like a pain and I think there's something that, you know, 
people who potentially don't see the world in the way that he does, you know, really capable of repressing and capitalism requires a huge amount of repression. We see it as a sort of a natural system or one that just is an outgrowth of the way we are and that it's the most fair because it's liberal and kings and billionaires have the same rights under the law, quote unquote, as the worker. You know, we, we aside from fiscal inequalities, it appears that everybody is on a level footing. So there's a huge amount of repression that has to go on. And in a sense, you know, on the left, you're asking people to bring that repression, you know, to unrepress what is repressed. But then, like, how do you go on without being utterly miserable when you're aware of the reality of things, you know? And um, obviously what happened to him was, like, really tragic. What happened to him? He overdosed. Yeah, he over overdosed oh, on okay. fentanyl. Yeah, in 2017, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, he just burst onto the scene and then, yeah. And I, I think it's fascinating that three... I mean, he's, he's bigger than ever three years after his death. Like, his staying power has been... He's like connected with more people after he's passed um, than when he yeah. was alive, and and people I find people's relationship and the way they gravitate towards him very very fascinating. Awesome. Interesting. All right. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's a good movie. Is a uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, you can. Uh, I'll plug my Twitter. How about? Uh, my, I usually get a pretty loud on Twitter. My Twitter is uh, Trace Bell. Uh, the Bell with with three L's. Um, okay. And uh, what what's what's on the cards for you next year once you graduate? Um, obviously, I mean, I guess it's all up in the air now with the with the coronavirus. Yeah, situation. who knows? What, I mean, I've been about? I've been thinking about doing a master's uh, online program. Um, I it, it's we don't know because we don't I don't know how long we we're gonna be forced to be inside, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. I, a podcast maybe. I mean, I know everyone's I know podcast mics are out. They ran out of them on Amazon because some people are uh, starting podcasts. So I know I know everyone kind of is, but um, it's it's really unknown right now. I I mean I don't know how, how long we'll be inside, but yeah, we'll finish up school here and then uh, kind of figure it out, I guess. All right. Nice, well, man. Trace, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It yes, was thank great, you guys so uh, much. To you. So much fun. Yeah, no, it was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, speak to you guys next time. Bye. 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 -bye. Thank you.